0: Hello everybody and welcome to episode number 26 of the Biff Rugby League Podcast. This is the penultimate episode of the season. This is going to be our World Cup Finals preview show as well as throwing in every other bit of news that sort of has happened over the last week um, from hotel bust-ups to golden boot winners to NRL transfers. Just absolutely ridiculous. Um, But before we get into all of that, Hobie, I'm going to ask you how you are because you're the happiest of the three of us this week.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm in a very good mood and I think a part of that is obviously because, you know, as a Welshman, I'm not allowed to like watching England win and I would have had to support England had they got to the final because it went in rugby league terms, Australia as a nation, or well, the Australian national team are the worst, the most toxic part of rugby league, which says a lot. Um considering other factors that try and impact the game sometimes um, but I think the more I reflect on it I'm actually a very happy man and I think all of us have to be happy men because of this how good the state of the international game is despite the fact that there's still many discrepancies to be with that need wiping out of the international game there is we are in a position which I never thought we would have been in at the end of 2013 where we have five elite international teams who could have all got to the final if it was on their day and on top of that we have another side which aren't far away from being elite and two very reputable sides which you know create enough who have enough quality to make you at least get excited for their games against these more elite nations so i think i think that international rugby league i think i'm finally seeing it after a group stage where i was very negative uh, the last two quarterfinals, the two semifinals, I really am, like, positive about International Rugby League and I'll get on to it, I guess, but we really need to make sure that we keep this quality of fixture as an annual event in some form or another. But, yeah, fantastic, fantastic uh, men's final that we have lined up and fantastic women's and wheelchair finals, despite the fact Wales got absolutely pumped. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So just just a great time to be a to leave i think this festival world cups has really been fantastic um yeah really 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 proud of all the athletes who have taken part
0: yeah 100 it's i'm it's really weird that it's only well at the time of recording the finals five days away and then after that we're not going to have anything until like the first weekend in january when you start getting pre-season fixtures and and things like that Robin how how are you this week how, are you are you sort of over the fact that we lost in that semi-final yet or are you kind of screwing at the fact that we just sort of fed the bear
2: yeah it, it was painful wasn't it I mean and then we followed it up with another loss on Monday night so it's it, I think it's a shame like Old Trafford won't be the same without an English team there but I'm kind of like feeling the same sort of vibes as Toby where I'm just buzzing with this competition as a whole I think we've seen some like fantastic games and I've been really lucky that most of it's been on my doorstep and I've just had a great time. So it would have been the icing on the cake, but to be honest, it it doesn't matter too much because it it just, it's just been great fun. Like, um, you know, we we went out in in such a way that like, (laughs) even that was a a highlight game, like to a neutral, that would have been fantastic to watch. So if we'd have been beat 60, nil in a semi final, I would be good, but you know, to go out against um, an elite team, playing, coming up with a clutch, a clutch play like that is kind of you know fair and square.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, we may as well get on to it. Like England looked like you, you understand they they absolutely hammered Samoa, so you can understand why there was a little bit of positivity going into the semi final, having put sixty points on them in week one. But as we were aware, I and mean, fans of rugby league were aware, that Samoa sided, not really hadn't been in camp. For less than like maybe you not know, even 10 days a week, hadn't played a warm up game. Uh, actually, no, they They played, played, I think they played one warm up game maybe in before. Maybe I can't remember if it was Tonga that played France or Samoa that played France at the Shea um, beforehand. But from what I'm aware, it was they didn't have a warm up game. They played play England on home soil in front of a really good crowd and were pumped. And you we kind of expected that to happen. Everyone was like, Oh, it's going to be a tough game. It wasn't. People are coming into this going, "Oh, England are going to win. They're going to get to the final." It, it just, it was, it was a cracking game. Like, I don't think either team necessarily deserved to lose that game, but neither, but Samoa were clearly the team that deserved to win it. Is if that makes sense?
2: Yeah, Eng- England were just not um, clinical enough at that level, at that standard. They made so many mistakes and switched off and. It was weird. We've seen them, like, perform so well in the group stages, and they at times it looked unstoppable. Um, but I think it was more of a case of they just hadn't come up against that challenge, and they hadn't really improved from week one because they hadn't needed to, whereas Samoa had just steadily improved, well, massively improved from week one, but you could see them growing and building, and um, the... Um, the introduction of, of Tim Lafaye like changed the team completely. I think they, they sort of came, they withdrew from all the media stuff. Like they just sort of like, it's been very quiet and they just sort of like uh, knuckled down and it, they, they, they made it show. I mean, they made history getting to the quarter to the semis and now they've bettered it by getting to the final and what, like what a massive achievement for such a tiny little place. And, um, like, like Toby was saying at the beginning, like it's great for International Rugby League. As good as it is for an English fan, it's great that we've got a new team up there challenging the best and full of like genuine homegrown elite
0: talent. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. And like you said, Toby, at the start, it, it's, it's phenomenal for the international game. You look at back in 2013, Samoa won two of their three group stage games then they went into the uh, knockouts and lost twenty two four to Fiji in the quarterfinals back in twenty thirteen. You go you go to twenty seventeen and I don't I don't believe they won many games at all in their group back in twenty seventeen. No, they didn't. They drew against Scotland and lost to New Zealand and Tonga and what yeah, it was a tough group, but you look at how that team has developed since two thousand and seventeen. Unbelievably different for for that, and you, when well, you look at the New Zealand side, and there's not a lot of difference in that New Zealand side. Whereas you go through Samoa, only Tim Lafai, Junior Paulo, Josh Papali'i are the are the three that are in that team from when they played New Zealand back in 2017. The development of this team is absolutely crazy, and I'm I'm really positive for Samoa. But we need to we we'll start with England. What what's next for England? They've not had this is a fact. They've not had the same coach coach them at more than one World Cup. So but with the World Cup only being three years away and Sean Wayne only having a year on his contract, where do you think that leaves leaves England with their coaching situation? Do they have to give Wayne the World Cup next time? Because two years is not enough for a coach to come in and implement anything, is it?
1: Look, uh, I think,
0: go on,
1: Todd. Well, I think that Sean Wayne has to stay. I think he's a fantastic coach and he's shown right up until the semi-final how fantastic he is. And even then, I think that a lot of the people knocking England's performance, perhaps being critical of Wayne, but also being critical of certain players, are very much fans of Rugby League who support their club and support their country and don't don't keep an eye on just what's happening in the NRL, just what developments are being made to the game internationally. And for them, it's hugely frustrating um, to see this England side slip away not knowing that, on paper, the Samoa side is the better team, does have the better players. And, yeah, I think that Sean Wayne did make a critical error in allowing his team to play so so expansively out of their own half in Golden Point. Um, But I also think that, you know, he recognises that mistake and he coached a team who, on paper, are a worse team to an incredibly gutsy performance that saw them score some really well worked tries to stay in that game until the 83rd minute of golden point or so and I think that sort of really what's resonated with me is that if that I'm not sure England under saying Wayne Bennett even get get that game back to a golden point situation and I think that is genuinely something that Sean Wayne has managed to breed I think another thing that like I just want to add to that is that I don't even think that I think the wrong players are being blamed for this, and England is a young squad that can only get better. And I think the players who are actually sort of weren't good enough to be involved in that Samoa game aren't Jack Wellsby and Sam Tompkins, but are in fact probably Callum Watkins um, and maybe like a Chris Hill or something. And I think that when you look at the players we were putting in our, you know, we were putting in our squad when we were considering Zach Hardacre, Jake Connor, Ryan Sutton to just bring something different yeah. and bring something that other players wouldn't expect. And I think that the selection crisis, which Sean Wayne managed to dole down and say wasn't an issue, actually has now really come to light against Samoa, with, I think, sort of, they're being too stagnant and out of dummy half, but also there being, sort of, not enough players who are just completely comfortable with throwing the ball around to play that play style.
0: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It was, it was weird that we played better in the fifteen minutes that Radley was a hooker. And I don't know if this was something you were going to touch on, Robin, but the lack of Andy Akers on the bench was a, was a throw for me because his speed and the way he plays around the ruck could have exploited something that the Samoans haven't been very good at this tournament, and that is defending behind the ruck.
2: Yeah, I, I would. I mean, he'll never never reveal it, will he? But I wonder what his game plan. Like was, I wonder what his, his master stroke was, because t- to me like and it was working on the actors at the start mm. of the tournament, I wasn't sure about that selection, and, and he did try things around, you know, like we, we had a game with um, Sneed in at half so he, he tried his combinations and I'd like to know why he went with the, with the team he did, over the one that um, appeared to be so successful Um I, I think, despite that I, I still think that um, Sean Wayne should stay, I mean he didn't have a, a a massive build up to the World Cup with um the lack of like international fixtures in, in the builder. And um I with the news that we we've got a, a France fixture um not long into next year, hopefully he'll with a, a proper run and this team with like relatively early success, that's a young team, I think he can he can build it. I think he's really behind English rugby league and um, i think he manages to get the best out of his players so i think that they should stick by him i think that it would be a mistake to try and start again um but we'll we'll see what happens
0: yeah I'm, I'm totally
2: yeah,
0: so i was
1: just gonna say like in many ways that his game plan in this tournament has been attacked through the second rows who are you know john bateman and whitehead are nrl quality second rows attacked through the centers who Herbie Farmer is an NRL quality centre. And then obviously, like, get, you know, get those line breaks, get up to the line. And then you've got Tom Burgess as a weapon, you've got your edges and your wingers as weapons, And I think that that's a lot more expansive than we were expecting Sean Wayne to play. And I think that partially that is because he knew that when he came up against bigger packs, England's pack perhaps couldn't match up to them. And I think what's really happened is that expect, you know, you get to you get they put a really gutsy performance in that game tactic has done really well to put to put the amount of points on Samoa that it did. And then you've just reached a situation where in Golden Point, which I don't, I'm not sure if Sean Wayne was still the Wigan coach when Golden Point came into Super League. No, I don't
0: think it was.
1: So he's probably never been in the Golden Point situation before. And I think that's something that only experience can teach you that you have to really just knuckle down, make the hard meters mm. and make and put field position first
0: yeah no i totally agree i mean you look at some of the stats just from games played and points and everything else you look at halves jack wellsby's played four games for england um just only scored four points Mark needs played two games for england and he's offered a little bit more he's, he's got the try with four points but he's also kicked 10 goals like so he Welsby really like you said he's might, maybe not to blame but he's, he's a young player The stage might have been a little bit too big for him but we can build around him victor radley coming into an england camp for the first time he's never played with any of these other players he played against them but he's never played with any of these other players um young lads like kai pierce paul joe bachelor Mikolai oletsky they're lads that are going to be in and around this squad for a long long time players that we know are not going to be at the next world cup you're probably looking at ryan hall chris hill watkins burgess tomkins whitehead those those five players there are maybe not whitehead but you're looking at well he's 33 so yeah probably looking at whitehead as well you look at these guys that have all played big test games for for england all over the age of 30 there there's, there's needs to be Reinhold's played 45 times for england like he's not gonna be, he's probably not going to play again george williams is still young enough you're gonna he's 28 years old he's probably coming into the prime of his career needs to really kick on now like in terms of personnel who who stays in this team for you for for the the, in the next three years who has to stay in this team no matter what form they're in who do you have to build this team around well i think dom young's got
2: his name's got to be thrown in the ring because he just exploded didn't he and Mm. um i think i think it's kind of a bit like ryan hall when when he first came on the scene and like instantly like the Australians respected him and on the international um, scene he was kind of feared a little bit and I think that Dom Young's maybe replicating that a little bit which, which is really helpful and the fact that he's still over in the NRL means like fingers crossed he can only get better. And another player that has been really impressive and um, kept England in, in the game against Samoa was um, Herbie Farmworth. And oh, unbelievable. We, when we very first in the very earliest days of the Biff, we were talking about England squads, and we weren't quite sure if he was ready. It was just sort of a maybe if somebody gets injured. But I think he's since then he's improved so much, and he's definitely become a, a key player of the England side.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, four four games, three tries for for England in the World Cup. Like he's still only 22 years of age. The, the try he scored, I think it was his first try at the weekend, where he powered through four or five Samoans and we know they're not obviously people can tackle at this level but just because they can tackle doesn't mean they're necessarily strong tackles these Samoan tackles are going to be unbelievably powerful to get through Busts through four of them and scores and it really just makes England realise actually that yeah, we can win this game if we play properly but into the last 20 minutes of that game once Macaloran came back on it just seemed to be, it just seemed to be there just seemed to be no structure and then you trying to play out your own half in golden point just get it just get it to fifth and kick it away, and then just yeah. back your defence to do it. Like you can't afford to make those errors in that in when, that time.
2: When that game went to Golden Point, I remember sitting there and thinking, "Okay, like Golden Point's been around in the Super League for a while. Obviously, it's been in NRL for longer, but at least all of our squad have will have experienced Golden Point. They will have yeah. prepared for it. And, and so I was kind of hoping that we we would sort of be ready for that. So I was really shocked at the, the, the fact that we did like make those sloppy mistakes in our own half, like especially when you're receiving the ball first in Golden Point, you just have to stick it up your jumper and try and make yardage and get as far away from the first as possible.
0: Yeah it's, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it, how that works. Mm. Um, one thing I noticed, I don't know if you guys noticed it at home, but defensively, Tompkins would defend at full-back, Wellsby and the halves, right as their numbers suggested they would. In attack, Tompkins was always first receiver. Like, to me, that doesn't make sense. You expect someone like Williams to get the ball first because he can he can pass, he can kick, he can run, he can do it. He, he's got everything. You've got Wellesby then the second, or uh, even if Wellesby's and Tompkins are fullback and second receiver, but Tompkins was playing at first receiver for a lot of that, especially when we got into like the final twenty and we were trying to do something. He's not someone who tends to create tries. He's usually someone that finishes them off when he's got that little bit of space. Like we said, we don't know what Sean Wayne's plan was, and honestly, not many people asked him in the presser after the game because he was visibly upset. But it would be nice to understand sort of where that decision came from. Um, but like you said, like I said already, Wellesby seemed to just get the, the, the stage. Seems to. See, get the better of him like there was uncharacteristic errors from him but he's only 21 years old so you're going to expect it moving on to a positive from this though Samoa in a world cup final like you couldn't ask for any more like unbelievable Samoa for me personally are always a second nation just because of the people that my family know and my relationships with top level like former Samoan internationals that have played at Halifax and family friends and stuff like that but for them to lose to Samoa, for me was yeah England have lost. But actually, I've always had that soft spot for Samoa and the way Samoa play. And if they, if they if they had a, a decent hooker in this World Cup final, I'd be like, you know what, this is going to be a great game. But I think the fact that their spine is a little bit disjointed is what's going to be the problem in the in the final. But what an absolute positive for them to get to this this far in the tournament.
2: Yeah, and they like properly earned it, didn't they? They've had yeah. to beat Tonga in that like bruising game that went right down to the wire, and then again followed it up the next week with the hosts, who seemingly are unstoppable, that trashed you in the first round. Again, that goes down to the wire, so this is like a proper fairy tale World Cup, there
0: Yeah, and we're all Samoan, aren't we, aren't we, Toby? Are you Samoan this week?
2: Yeah, I'm
1: definitely Samoan, and I think I'm also Penrith now as well, because of that, because there's so many Penrith players in this yeah. Samoa side, but yeah, it's it is fantastic, and I, I I think Samoa can pull it off. I think that you know they've got they've got the cohesiveness that the Australians don't. And I mean, I listened to a couple of Australian league podcasts that I found recently. Um, James Graham's got a really good one as well. Um, but I'm not gonna I'm not I won't shout them out because obviously you should all listen to the bit. Um, but yeah, it's um, it like the you know everyone sort of believes that Australia have just got a bit too much quality but everyone's worried about Australia's cohesiveness and I think for me it's actually quite a big game because Samoa winning this game for me is like is everything international rugby league needs to be able to go into next year with a proper fixture calendar with Australia wanting to play to prove they're the best in the world mm. like all this needs to happen and it's almost like I feel for me I feel like there's more pressure on Samoa than I think they actually realize there is so i hope they can play without that pressure and they don't you know they don't see it as that pressure um but yeah really exciting matchup isn't it seeing like you've got jerome lewai versus nathan cleary and you've got you've got a, like a forward pack that's like got state of origin players on both sides It really is like i think it, it is i think on paper probably the best two sides but, uh, you know i said new zealand were the best side at the start just because I thought they'd had more time together as a unit, mm. but yeah, I think that now I hope that Tim Laffey as well can just have a fantastic game against Australia. Like, really, I'm hopeful. Like, because he has been like he is the best centre we've ever seen in Super League. Yeah. Like, which sounds ridiculous and sounds over the top. We didn't even realize it until he played in the World Cup.
0: No. Yeah. And that was a that was a thing. you speak to someone like Tim Lafai with with uh, potential? Um move on the horizon into the nrl but speaking of australia really quickly the the last two they haven't they haven't lost in the last five but the last five games they've played have been at this world cup in the games since the 2017 world cup they've only played four games not in a world cup they've played two in 2018 two in 2019 and then none in 2020 none in 2021 so you've, they've come into this for two years no world, no international fixtures but two of those four they lost they lost to New Zealand in Auckland and they also lost to Tonga at Eden Park as well. Like if Samoa beat them that will be three losses in their last 10 games. The best team in the world, it can't lose 3 in the in their in their last 10 games. So you look at New Zealand in rugby union, they went on like a 38 game win streak. In Ireland have hit 37. I think England hit 35 once and like these at that time, these guys are the best international teams in the world. But they can't beat the other. If they can't beat if, if Australia can't beat Samoa this weekend, they're not gonna. Yes, Samoa would have won the World Cup, and they will be the best team in the world. But the Australians will not like that, and maybe that's the kick up. Like you said, the kick up they ask that they need to, to really care. Speaking on Tim Lafai though, you said we didn't realize how good he was until the World Cup. The, he wasn't even selected originally? Like if that in, if those injuries don't happen in it's they're massive what if questions, but if those injuries don't happen in that opening game against England to Tyrone May and Patrick is it Patrick Tago that got injured as well? If those injuries don't happen Ken sio and uh, Tim Laffey don't come into that squad and maybe they don't get the impact that Tim Laffey has. He doesn't these lads necessarily don't like Tyrone May doesn't necessarily have a point to prove, does he? Whereas Tim Laffey does.
2: It's an, an interesting um, thing, isn't it? A blessing in disguise. I think um, I think he, like, just in the in the England game, he was massive, wasn't he? Like, he, he was the difference. And, like, Callum Watkins is a player that's got that pedigree, got the experience. Like, fair enough, he, he sort of dropped off the last couple of years, but he's really built back that form. But Tim Lafayette embarrassed him, didn't he? Like, he completely made him look like an amateur. So... Yeah, it's, it's cool to see how um, his career will potentially be completely revitalised off the back of a tournament that he wasn't even originally invited to.
0: Yeah, and, and I sat down and... well, I didn't sit down, I, I spoke to Tim Laffey after the game on um, Saturday, I think. Yeah, on Saturday afternoon, and this is what he had to say. For you on a personal level, not originally selected for the squad, in my opinion today, man of the
3: match for the Samoa Tide. Is the NRL
0: back on your horizons? Oh, uh, look, uh, after you, know, if
3: it does, you know, if there, there is any offers, oh, yeah. you know, I'd love to take it because, um, you know, that's where myself and my wife's um, families are. Um, but, you know, I'll just um, you know, keep enjoying my, my rugby over here for the time being. Um, yeah. What are the plans for you this year with Salford? Where do you think you can go after getting to a World Cup final with Samoa? How are you going to take that into pre-season and the Super and oh, season next year? Uh, I just think, you know, I could... Um, you know, take what I learned, you know, with the, the NRL boys here and the young boys and, you know, take it into our Salford team, you know. Um, we know we've got that attack, you know, in Salford and I think I could just add my experience, um, you know, to, to the team and you know and, and be a leader for, for, for my team. And what was it like going up against Callum this afternoon, obviously teammates? Yeah, look, um, he had me on my toes. I knew he, you know, he's a class player, um, Cal so I had to do my homework, you know, during the week, you know, on him—not uh, just myself, but my whole edge, you know, because we knew the threat he, he posed and you know what he did to us in that first game. And he's, you know, well, I think has been the best centre in the in the tournament. So, um, yeah, I had to make sure I was out there for 80 minutes, you know, always just giving him pressure.
0: So that was um, Tim Laffay there speaking, of sort of how he got on during this tournament, sort of his views of what it means to him, what his future is going to look like, whether it's in the NRL, whether it's with Salford. Very interesting thoughts on what he thought about Callum Watkins, though. I don't think he was kind of bigging him up a little bit. He said he'd been one of the best centres in the tournament. He obviously hasn't watched Stephen Crichton much, has he?
2: <laughs> yeah, his own teammate. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's maybe just, you know, he's being polite to his teammate. He already embarrassed him out on the pitch. He didn't want to do it in the press afterwards <laughs> as well.
0: No, that's very true. Um, Toby. I was going to move on to Australia and do New Zealand, but I'll, I'll jump into that. We'll, we'll jump into the NRL watch because there's some obviously there's some different NRL news and stuff to, to to bring up. Um, Tim Laffey to the NRL. Any any teams that are sticking their heads out a little bit? Any teams with a little bit of money that could do with a a centre that is probably wanting one last goodbye to and finish his career over here or over in the NRL. Thirty one years old now is Tim Laffey.
1: Yeah, look, it's very difficult, um, mainly because, you know, many teams have sort of already budgeted for the year as it stands. Has he gone? I'm back.
0: Oh, you're back. You're here. You are here. I'm here. You're here. Yeah. I'm here.
1: Yeah. So it's uh, no, it's a difficult one to tell, to be honest, because, uh, because a lot of teams are sort of already ready. Um, I'd have looked at sort of the bulldog shipping off Iron Shop to uh the Titans and said, Oh, there's a space, there's a left centre space there But I very much feel like that's being filled by Braden Burns. Mm. Um I think that yeah, left centre seems to be the one that a lot of people want to play and right centre is where the is where there's a need for players. Um we've seen that he fits really nicely into a Panthers back line. Um which I don't think the Panthers have necessarily got the money knocking about, but Isaac Targo could definitely come into second row as a powerful ball runner and see what laugh I could offer at left centre if the Panthers just wanted to take the mick a little bit. Um,
0: well, with Kikai and, with yeah, Kikau and Coruscant hiding out the door, they've probably got a little bit of money to spend, haven't they?
1: Yeah, well, I think it depends how they've sort of re-signed their contracts and stuff. Mm. It looks like Spencer Lin, you could be on, on the way as well. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely, there is some room for it. And I think that, you know, I think that it would be a definite sort of, not improvement, but, uh, a, you know, a definite signing of intent for this season, which I think they might be missing a little bit um, right now, the Panthers. I mean, I'm sure that you'd uh, love to take them at the Tigers as well. Yeah, um, really,
0: especially now we've got rid of Hastings. Like, right. what what an absolutely fantastic managerial decision that was to get rid of arguably one of our best players and one of our one of the fan favourites from last season. Well done. Yeah, so I think we brought in a forward way. that's nearly thirty, just under the age of thirty, but it's, it's just wants to retire and get a big paycheck. Like, right? we don't. I know you said last year we got one of the worst forward packs in the NRL, but David Clemens is not going to fix that problem. We tried that with James Tarmo. He hasn't done it. He's gone back to the Cowboys. Like. It's not going to work. Like we needed players to fit. It. Like why did why the the knights wanted Brooks? The fans don't want Brooks. Why is Brooks not being the one that's gone out the door to save ourselves a million pound or a million dollars a year? Or probably not a million because Clemmer will be on a, a decent wedge. But you, you're giving yourself probably yourself another two between two and two hundred and four hundred k to to spend on someone else there, aren't you? If you get rid of Brooks and bring Clemmer in, the knights wanted Brooks. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's
1: a clear decision by Tim Sheens um, that, he wants, that he wants Brooks and Duae as his or, or Duay. Duay um, is it? Is it Duay now? Dewey, um, yeah, with, with as his half-back combo Interesting, I think, for me that outside of those two, there isn't really anyone who's got experience playing in the half, so if one of those goes down you are looking at um, either Dane Laurie coming into the halves, mm. or Happy Coruscant going into the halves.
0: Not happening.
1: You know, it's funny because the sort of thing is that there's three big money halves, and you can only afford to have two. But they don't play like three big money halves, do they? No.
0: Not
1: um. At all. I think that's definitely sort of a concern. Um. I think that forward pack wise, they have strengthened. You know, at the end of the day, they've brought in Clemmer, they've brought in Coruscant, um. You know, they've got Offerhang Gowie in there still, and I think that there is something to like um, about this Tigers team now, Um, but I'm not sure. Can you you tell me what it is?
0: Can you just tell me what it is? Because at the minute, I don't. Other than... Oh, wait, there isn't any. Other than Dame Laurie at fullback, and that's it, really. You've
1: got a layer of in there as well. Yeah, Lihar and Coruscant
0: coming into that team really do help, but I mean... Will Smith's in, I guess. He's done a little bit, of, but then he's just Will Smith probably going to half. To be fair, you probably find Will Smith. A, I don't know. I don't well, know. Will he's is, of a probably really signs
1: the extended squad, apparently.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't understand what really. I don't really get what what's going on.
1: But yeah, it's know. all a bit confusing for the Tigers, I think. But I'll tell you what: if you're the Newcastle Knights, you're very happy with your signing there.
0: Yeah, I'm hundred um, percent. I, I just don't see it. I don't understand it. Can't get my head around it. Um, something else I can't get my head around. Um, and as our NRL, NRL expert, is anyone going to want to sign James Bentley because Leeds want to get him out the door? <laughs> yeah, right. well, I think I think that the only logical place
1: for him to go would be to South Sydney, um, yeah. just to uh, be able to play that one game a year against the Sydney Roosters, have it out with
0: Victor terrible, Radley. Yeah. But,
1: at no, the whistle, each other
0: like four times, so that'd be well. No, they'd all be they'd both be banned for from all of them. Yeah. They? So it's just well, the, well, to fair, the season.
1: Giving him his credit, Leeds fans rave about Bentley. Like in terms of the second half of that Leeds season,
0: he down lot, before he?
1: the grand final, Bentley was a huge part in turning that team round.
0: Yeah, they Bentley had a down.
1: fantastic second half the season for Leeds. Um, Leeds really rate him, and I think that an NRL coach who is willing to, let's be honest, he's, he's going to be a cheap player to sign, and an NRL coach who backs themselves as being able to sort out somebody's discipline could actually come in and get quite a quite a steal, quite a squad player. Do you reckon he'd go to Even the Dolphins? Potentially...
0: Huh? Do you reckon he'd go to the Dolphins?
1: It depends on Wayne Bennett's feelings on that kind of player, to be honest. Um, you know, I could see him more going to be to be in a Melbourne Storm and sort of because you, you know yeah. they like to sort of get a bit grubby around the wrestle a bit of a fleece kafuusi replacement.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of players to replace at some of these clubs where obviously the players yeah. are going to this new team. So there's there's obviously another team full of 25 spots that you need to fill with top quality players. So you'll probably find a lot more Super League players will go over for more money but not necessarily more game time. Um We'll we'll touch on this a little bit, this Victor Radley versus James Bentley situation. Um, According to the BBC Sport, which is where I'm reading this now, Sydney Roosters Radley was involved in an altercation with the Leeds Rhino's James Bentley at a hotel in Manchester on Sunday. The England team was staying in the hotel following the the defeat of Samoa on the Saturday. Um, Bentley is rumoured to be the instigator as he was seen abusing and um, basically trying to get a reaction out of Sean Wayne Um, and so Radley stepped in to protect his coach and supposedly headbutted Bentley who needed stitches. Um, That's as far as I've read, it's obviously being investigated but I'm so happy someone's finally told Bentley what to do with himself and and stood up to him because all year we've talked about how much of a grub he's been and Everything else, just I don't know. Yeah, it's just mental, isn't it?
2: It is a bit of an odd situation. So this happened after the Samoa game. This
0: happened on the Sunday. Um, yeah, on the Sunday, I guess, and yeah, I guess they were all out having a meal or something. And apparently, Bentley was invited back to the England hotel by an England by a teammate. So I'm guessing. A Leeds player? Is there any other maybe a Ledsky oh, invited okay. him back? Right, like, who else would it have been that would who else is in the England squad that's a Leeds player that would have invited him back? Just I the unless it was a
1: Saints player he knew him from
0: that time. Yeah, maybe it could have been. Yeah. It could have been like either a Ledsky or Bachelor probably Knowles, right? Knowles probably wanted him to come and have a party. Um it wouldn't have been I don't think it would have been Wellesby or Macon <laughs> after some... I don't know, I, don't, I just I a feeling that the Saints lads didn't particularly like him, and I don't know, I'm just glad that Victor Adley's gone and done something about it, because, yeah, just absolutely ridiculous. Um, Shall we should we touch on Australia and New Zealand semi-final? Should we talk about how good the game was in terms of its technical value, and how much better it was technically than the England game?
2: It was another level, wasn't it? I, yeah. was, um, I was lucky enough to be there, and it was just...
0: I was unlucky st- enough not to be yeah I'm
2: sorry I, I want to I wanna talk about how amazing it was but I don't want to rub it in too badly it's
0: yeah, fine I got to the England game for free and I got free food so I was pretty happy that's true yeah yeah, that was
2: that, was and what an event as well having that at the Emirates but yeah,
0: yeah this, this
2: game at Ellen Road um, it was packed and it was just amazing I was sat in a corner and I was in one of those seats where everything's right in front of you so I didn't have yeah. to turn my head and I was just literally sat there like God, like my job, I'm drooling. I'm just <laughs> taking it all in. I didn't say a word for 80 minutes. I was just mesmerized. It's it was mental. it was fantastic. And um, I think we were we were saying earlier about like that the kangaroos um, need a kick up the backside. Like you know they've not been the completely dominant side that um, makes them apparently the best team in the world. But I think this I think this could have been it. Like they were they were pushed and they could have easily lost this game. That like, to come back from behind and. They took advantage of um, just probably the only lapsing concentration of the whole game when um, when they got the uh, the penalty just in yeah. front of the
0: line. And um, Brandon, an absolutely knackered Brandon Smith, he's just made four tackles on the bounce. He's yeah. still behind and the referee, like, fair enough, he doesn't need to let him get ready, but he blows the whistle. Klein doesn't, that's what I mean, an Australian referee in an Australian game, you know, I thought yeah. it was very, I didn't think the refereeing was particularly fair. Um but yeah, the
2: only I think situation. it was a, I think it was okay. I think it was like a high intensity game and I think he like allowed it to be played like that and there was there was a few sort of like pushes and shoves that he just sort of let it go by and and I I was grateful for that because I think that it, it 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 the aggression levels were high but because of the high skill level at the same time it was all put into the right the right places rather than Having like a James Bentley style, like lashing out, it was yeah. like the, the the hits just got harder. They didn't get higher or late or anything like that. They just they were it was just powerful and physical for the whole game. So I, I quite enjoyed it from that point of view. Um, yeah, it, it was just it was just amazing. And I, I, I there was I noticed just from just from my experience, there was loads of people there that didn't hadn't seen the game before. Every well, every time. There was um a set restart and you hear the hooter i every single time i heard multiple conversations of people like "Oh, so what does that mean and it just indicates that there was a lot of neutrals there and i mean how lucky if you're a neutral if this is your first introduction to rugby league yeah um like that try that that josh had a car scored from the um Unreal. ben hunt kick 40 meters out like it's not even a place that you think about an attacking kick but that was just Probably one of the highlights of my whole rugby league <laughs> viewing its lifetime. It was amazing, and That's yeah, I think in a way that that match deserved to be the grand final, but yeah. it kind of it just the fact that it happened is is it enough to make yeah. this whole tournament worth it.
0: Yeah, um, I just want to point out that Josh Adokara scored twelve tries in this tournament, which equals Valentine's home record from five years ago for tries in a tournament. He's got one more game to go, um, if that, if. Josh Adokar scores uh, a hat. Uh, scores four tries. He will have scored sixteen, which is the same amount of tries that Billy Slater scored in like f- three tournaments. <laughs> which is absolutely ridiculous. Same as Jared Haynes scored fourteen over three tournaments, and like Ryan Hall scored fourteen over three tournaments. Adokar has come in and he's really che- He's really just added something to this Australia team that it like the New South Wales Origin team didn't have. And I mean. Have seen that more because obviously having watched that have realized that decision how how gutted would you be if you're a new south wales australia fan going oh yeah i'm really happy we're winning the, we're going to potentially win the world cup and we're in a world cup final but why the hell wasn't this bloke pick for our origin side this year
1: yeah i mean i don't think that you know at that point in time that i Car probably makes a difference to how that team, you know, to how the Origin squad plays necessarily. But that said, I mean, I think that I, I genuinely believe that the try we saw him score is once in a lifetime. No one will ever see a bomb go for 30, 40 metres and it just accidentally end up in the hands of an on-rushing winger ever again. Like, that was simply incredible. Um, I think that he's been let down a little bit by the Bulldogs this year. Um, they haven't used him properly, they haven't unleashed him the way he, that, you know, he can be unleashed and I think that this is really, I think that the conversations coming out of Australia now is actually, you know, we slept on this guy after he left Storm and um, we expect, you know but seeing him now, like, he is the best winger, he is the best, if not one of the best hes the, he is the best winger at the moment, if not one of the best wingers of all time with what he's able to do yeah. um, and I think that that's something which we'll only be able to truly say once his career's over but he really yeah. is like in a class of his own
0: yeah someone else uh, we're talking a class of their own the golden boot announcements were, were made the other night Joey Manu uh, won the men's golden boot um, Ray McGregor won the women's golden boot and Seb Bashara won the wheelchair golden boot um, three fantastic players with players we've mentioned all tournament for every single team they've played for for me to meet the golden boot winner in York on a rainy Sunday morning or Saturday morning whatever it was that's I've completed life like if you're pick if I'm picking a rugby league team of rugby league players I've met and had a photo with he's the only one that's he's the first name on that team sheet every week no matter how, like you just have to and to think and to think of the fact that he is he's is just so good and he doesn't play doesn't play fullback for his club that's ridiculous, uh, isn't do you it? know what
1: though? Like I, I'm not a massive fan. Well, he's very good. He's defensively very good, and he's very good with the ball in hand. He is. He's a selfish fullback in many respects, and I, I think that he does. Like I do, think there is many times where you know you want him to just take less carries, not touch the ball as much. And I, I don't think that he, you know, he has been the best player at the World Cup. And I was surprised that he was given the golden boot. Um, because I think that you know a player who, I think that players who have probably um, had their hand in more tries would would have got that award. But by the same token, you know I think that everyone admits that Joe Marnie has a skill set that is specific to him and that makes him a fantastic player.
0: Yeah, I mean he's had three tries, five try assists, fifty-seven tackle breaks two line breaks not 79% tackle efficiency in ter- in terms of his running meters he's had a total of 1301 running meters an average of 260 um in this world cup of- per game that's ridiculous like in terms it is of- but i think <laughs> that's mental hindered
1: new zealand it hinders new zealand more than the stats suggest i think yeah in terms of yeah so i think that and i think you know after their performance Against Fiji, I thought that I I would have understood if you had if you put Nickel Klockstad at fullback for his defending and had Manu uh, directly up against Mitchell, but not that that made a difference to the end result of this game. Like absolutely, it didn't. At the end of the day, Australia scored from that mm. that penalty. Brandon Smith had, was forced to play way too many minutes when Jeremy Marshall King is in the squad and could have relieved him of some of that time. Yeah. And and in the last 15, 20 minutes, Australia is a team of, a, of you know, 1 to 17 three in the world in their position in each, pla- you know, in each position, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Like, they knew how not to make a mistake. They didn't give the ball away. They didn't give New Zealand a chance to, to gain field position from a stupid penalty or from a six again. Mm. They really did, like... And if they did, it was once, like... But, yeah, they really just knew how to close out a game and New Zealand just started to to panic, started to make mistakes, started to get tired and Australia were ready to go for another 10 minutes at the end of that game.
0: Yeah, and that that was something that, when we speak about the women's game, is going to be very different. In the NRLW, they only play 35 minutes a half. They play 40 over here in Super League. And I thought, oh, maybe that's going to make a difference. Maybe our players are going to be that little bit fitter. But the, the Kiwis just absolutely came out and absolutely ruined... The, the um the lionesses that i think we do need a new nickname for them because every single female women's team in this country seems to be called the lionesses and like top level sport which is something that needs change but uh ray sheen mcgregor the, the new zealand halfback also a sydney rooster um is the female golden boot winner how good was she on monday night um i mean robin you watched this live you were there weren't you i believe i was there yeah
2: um it was pretty york, you've
0: never seen york that busy have you
2: no i yeah from personal experience it was the busiest i've ever seen it and, and that was really impressive and again lots of neutrals probably more neutrals than than regulars I, I think actually if there's any criticism i've got for york they've put on a great tournament and i think they've really managed to like drill up some interest but where where are my fellow knights like where are these fans that come and watch the york knights men's team because I didn't see many of them turn up for the women's group stages or the semi-final, which I think is a real shame. And I think, actually, that they've missed out on some quality matches and they've li- literally seen the best in the world, like, like um Ray Sheen. So, on, on the England game, um, like England got off to the perfect start. The first mm. 10 minutes was literally faultless. Every single carry, every single decision, the passes were crisp. They were tackling strong. They were just doing everything right in those, those kicks. Um, from Roche were absolutely spot on, they on the money and they totally deserved the first try and um, Tara Stanley nailed the kick from out wide and we're 6-0 up and I'm starting to think like hang on like they they mean business here but slowly and surely uh, New Zealand found their way back into the game and they just ground England down and it was um, really impressive to see actually just, just how controlled they were, how methodical um, they just they, they just played completely to their strength. I mean, um, New Zealand All-Tournament, their, their defence has been really their strong point, and I think that that managed to just choke England, and um, they didn't need to do much in attack. They just needed to um, keep rolling over and, and keeping the metres coming, and they managed to um, keep the play of the balls quick, which meant there was quite a lot of set restarts, and that gave them field position. Um, and off the back of that, their two um, cannonball centres were just like causing ha- complete havoc. And yeah,
0: how good is it? Um, is it Halfwanger or how, I don't know how you say the name, but she was unbelievable. That on the right edge for New Zealand.
2: Yeah, she's, it was such an interesting In player. Like, yeah, was, the, like the the size difference is, is crazy, and um, but she has quite a slow acceleration. But once she gets up to speed, she's yeah. unstoppable. So it was kind of like. You could see the english players as soon as she got the ball were like dashing to get to her and just cling on and slow her down before she could get able to speed because when she did she was just busting tackles left right and center yeah defensively
0: um, as well is it, is it amber hall the second rower like she was, she was yeah just, hall, like every like people would all in class yeah amber paris hall clark crystal Rothard, like just just unbelievable like yeah, we just couldn't we couldn't deal with them physically. They were just too strong and, and too powerful. Where who wins this World Cup final? Because the, from what I've seen of Australia, yes, they are unbelievable, and they did beat New Zealand. But New Zealand gave them a real good fright last week mm. in in the quarterf- in that semi final. No, sorry, in the in the last game of the group stage. And but we know Australia had rested a few. New Zealand have sort of played the same team throughout. They played a lot more rugby together, They they had a much more difficult semi-final to come through Australia kind of breezed through that semi-final against PNG Yeah, absolutely right. This one, this is the, probably the toughest one I know the, the wheelchair one we'll get onto in a second but this is probably the toughest of the three finals to really call
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm actually like, don't get me wrong the, the men's final is going to be awesome but I'm really excited for this one this is the one that's actually getting me um, the most excited because we've got a rematch of that game that was really close and and I think that um, like New Zealand I think that they've improved since that game with Australia, I think that they were much better against England yeah. um, Australia are a team that are very quick and light um, and agile and they just they seem to be able to score from anywhere because they're just so athletic um, whereas New Zealand are a, a much bigger side um, that tend to kind of like like to sort of grind down the opposition so it just it just depends whether australia can kind of um keep the ball flowing and, and run the forwards around or whether new zealand can start to gain some field position and like enter the arm wrestle because if they can if they can keep it it's that kind of a game then i, I think that they can get the result
0: yeah toby do you think it's as close to call as what i think it is or do you think that maybe one team has definitely got the edge over the other
1: i think that's quite a difficult question to answer i think that there is a team who will be favorites with you know with the bookies um i you know i think that's obvious that that's australia but yeah i think that both teams are capable now you know you look at you look at samoa england like the group stage and now is very different times of a tournament um and i hope that this is actually a fantastic game and i think that the women's game really has come out of come out of this as a lot bigger than it was before the start of this World Cup, and that's really great to see.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. One thing that is a bit disappointing to see from an England point of view is uh, Craig Richards left his role as women's head coach following the defeat. Um, his statement from on Monday says, "I've spent five years trying to close the gap. It is not good enough." Um, it'll be someone else who takes the team forward, that decision was made a while ago, it won't be me, so I'll support from afar. Uh, and He took over following the 2017 World Cup and he led England to 9 wins across his 11 test matches in charge, which is, it's, he's been there 5 years, they've only played 11 test matches, that's not enough is it? But he was appointed straight away, um, he was extended by 12 months, he went on tour to Papua New Guinea, which I believe they lost one of those games in Papua New Guinea, they did do the World Nines over there as well, but the, what you look at the way Australia demolished that PNG side in their semi-final, England lost that PNG side three years ago. Leeds have only just started paying their players. This is this is this is a tough one because I don't know, I don't really know what happened. We we spoke about what happens next for the England men's team. Where do they go? How do the England women's team go forward from here? Do they do they need to? Well, we know they need to be paid, but how how do you know what I mean? Like how do we? How do we provide them that without killing the game in terms financially? Because we know that the rugby league isn't the most financially profitable sport in terms of people that, like in terms of the money that it brings in. So the more players we play, the less money the sport makes. If just that does you know, that, Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I think the solution for me, um, and I think I'd like to hear Robin's sort of opinions on this, especially. But I think the solution for me would be one is to schedule more women's internationals. Sort of, even if it is like every, you know, one every two months or two every two months, you know, really like the women's Super League season is quite a small season compared to the men's. And I think like have that chance to just schedule these internationals because we know that these internationals can go on BBC and be watched on TV and sort of work from there, get people watching it there, realizing the standard, enjoying the game, and then go from there say like, look, if you want to watch this, here's a unique time slot that's not going to clash with your football or your men's rugby league where you can watch the women's rugby league at the local grounds near you. Um hopefully get a revenue in, get a loyal fan base um in and then yeah and also I think kind of be serious about what a super league team is yeah. in the women's competition. And if that means that there's only six teams who are professional but there's six teams who get people in you know, who are are able to pay women professionally and are able to, Mm. you know, build, maybe even build an academy side and work like that. You know, look at the NRLW, it's very much like, we've got six teams, we'll expand when we're ready. Um, You know, whereas you look at women's Super League and Super League South, it's just like, let's add team after team after team after team. And it's very like, it needs to start as a small product and the professional player base needs to grow and grow and grow. Whereas right now women's rugby league in England is looking to have a wide pay- player base and cherry pick the best of lot this wide player base for the national team, but I think in terms of being able to let these women go professional and reach the standard of Australia and New Zealand, uh, that is what's going what's going to need to happen is that the game be is to have a smaller professional league here that eventually grows over the next 10, 15 years into a
2: twelve team. Fourteen team league.
0: Yeah, it's kind of taken a step backwards to take a step forward. Uh, Robin, what are your thoughts on what Toby just said?
2: Yeah, I I think I kind of agree. Like, I think at the top level, it needs to be a little bit smaller, um, so that we can sort of invest more into the players that we've got. I think in the in the short term, uh, a quick fix would be to try and you know help some of these um, players get over in the NRLW because we've not had many do that and that would sort of instantly give them some you know tougher opposition and i think that that, that would help them hone their skills a little bit um but i would al- i would also be wary of you know shipping off all our talent and, and devaluing the product here um i think another step that needs to be taken is um we obviously this um feature has just been announced in um uh is it in april, april uh the yeah. Eng- yeah so that the england england versus france in the men's and the women's and I, and I get that you want people to see the women's game and so it makes sense to do it as a double header but I think we kind of need to treat it as its own products because from from my experience of these world cup games it's a totally different audience that's going to the men's games mm. than what's going to the to the women's games and so I think that like give it the respect that it deserves and, and and make it its own event and and you know go to these places that have got involved in the world cup and um just sell it like that. Like, I think it's a, it's a great opportunity to enter a new market. And, it, you know what I mean? Like yeah. You, a lot of people are put off by big sports events where, where, where England are playing because they they assume that it's going to be a little bit like the football and it's going to be a bit rowdy and stuff. And I know that we're not like that in rugby league, but to a neutral, they don't know that. And so I, I fear that that would put, put people off. Whereas if you say this is a, a women's rugby league game, like look what we've we've done, and, yeah. and we kind of build that, and we create these events. Then I think that that's a, a much better way to go in the long run to help the women's game become its standalone uh, professional competition.
0: Yeah, I agree. They I mean, they do it in the football, don't they? The men and women don't play at Wembley at the same time. They they have different times, and they play all over. The women used to play all over. The... A lot of their games are now at Wembley because uh, it's their national stadium. But I feel like. With England rugby league not having a national stadium, you could do tours all over the country. Like you could have England women play in Wales somewhere, you could have England women play in Ireland somewhere closer to Ireland, like just close over to Ireland as you can, somewhere easily accessible from Ireland, so near a port or something like that, where they could like leave Liverpool probably a good one. So they could get it to there. And, like there's so many different areas. One thing that I found really interesting this week when I was looking at towards the twenty twenty five World Cup was that every single women's team in this tournament are all, have already qualified for the 2025 World Cup because it will be expanded to 16 teams. So we will see Australia, Brazil, Canada, Cook Islands, England, France, New Zealand and PNG all in 2025, which I think is amazing because France know that they're going to be there, Brazil know they're going to, Canada know they're going to be there, which means they've got three years to really develop their teams. But these guys know that these these teams that didn't win this time round and that Brazil Canada name was unbelievable in that group but these guys these these teams have got 3 years to develop but we're going to see one of Chile Jamaica and USA we're going to see two of Fiji Samoa and Tonga we're going to see four of Greece Ireland Italy Malta Serbia t- Turkey and Wales and then we're going to see one of Cameroon Ghana Lebanon Morocco Nigeria and South Africa i mean some of those teams haven't played an international fixture before but there's tournaments lined up with those teams in place to qualify in 2025 the like you said the expansion of the world cup is going to be really good because there'll be players that will play for more than one nation same as in the um, men's game if you're of Samoan and Tongan descent and you're not getting into the australia New Zealand side you, you might see these guys go and play for their other nations like you've seen it this year with um, players playing like ex-kiwis playing for the Cook Islands and Canada they, they'll go and play for Samoa, Fiji, Tonga, like USA, it, European nations and I really can't wait to see how that develops from the teams that are not qualified. Which teams would you like to see yeah. play in that world? i tell you what, I'd, I'd look for me personally. Um, I'd, I'd love to see like a Jamaican women's team, a, a Fijian women's team. Ireland and Wales look the strongest of some of those European teams to play because the way that they, they play, they've played a lot of rugby recently. But Ireland, Italy, and Wales have got a European competition in themselves, so I think. There's going to be some cracking teams in that World Cup, but there's going to be more one-sided defeats as well at the same time.
2: Yeah, and I think that's um, this is where they need to be careful because um, we've seen a lot of blowout scores in the women's game, and, and the sort of the semifinals have proven that really we've only got three um, teams in that top bracket, yeah. and between the rest of them there are some tight matches, and really entertaining games like like Brazil Canada. Um, so so I think that. I think that um Toby's idea the other week of, of like um a group with the top four nations that's then seeded for the for the following rounds is the way to go when you're introducing so many different nations that like like you said some of them have never even played before, so they they they're obviously going to be um a, below the standard that's going to make it an entertaining watch
0: i mean the the eight nations that have qualified now that have automatically qualified would will be um should then be put into tiers. So the four that won their groups should be number one. Like so the teams that finish top of their group will be one. The teams that finish second in their group would also be one. So they'd be pool one. The teams that finish um third and fourth would be pool two and then the qualifiers would be drawn in three and four sort of thing. So you'd have yeah. Australia, England, New Zealand and PNG would not face each other in the group stage necessarily, which would then make you the quarterfinal. Then you are getting obviously the best teams at the end of the tournament. So, but like you, but then that also means you avoid the likes of Australia versus England or Australia versus New Zealand in the group stage, which some people would love to see. But the way the World Cup works, you want your best teams to play each other at the end of the tournament. So, it, it's very much hit and miss, isn't it, on what you need to do? But I agree that, in another sense, that we've mentioned this multiple times in this World Cup. Teams that finish third should go into a plate. Teams that finish fourth potentially in a bowl. That would be just to give them more fixtures. It doesn't necessarily have to be for anything, but it could just be, oh, this is the seventh, eighth playoff or whatever that is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It would really work. Um, I don't really know where to move on to now. There's still so much sort of to to bring up. Wheelchair tournament, that was the one. Um, Toby, what went wrong, man? What went wrong? I thought Wales were going to be up there. I thought they were going to give us a fight. In that semi-final on Sunday.
1: I mean, you have to consider that in the grand scheme of things, we are up there. But yeah, there is, there is a clear gap between Australia, France. Well, France, England, Australia in that order. Then there's like, you know, if it was like a league, there'd be like a good three or four leagues with just nobody in them yeah. before you got down to Wales's level. And I think, I think that's all you can expect, really. You know, considering that a lot of the people who are going to get involved in wheelchair rugby league in england are going to you know are still going to be massive rugby league fans who want to play but just can't whereas in wales you play wheelchair rugby because it's a sport you've kind of like yeah you've you've gravitated towards for for some reason um you know it's not like you've actively gone out there searching to play rugby league necessarily um so yeah i think that it's actually it's quite a proud moment but it's also i find it incredible on such a small pitch and with, you know, with these big wheelchairs, like five big wheelchairs on mm. such a small pitch, to be able to score a hundred odd points like that takes some serious practice yeah, and skill and talent. And I think that's like the main thing to come out of this is like the wheelchair game has just been so fantastic for me. Mm. Um, I think that it, you know it's the one which I think I can I could get people who aren't interested in watching rugby to watch with me. Um, and I think that really is a credit, and I don't think that the scorelines matter as much as I said in a previous no. podcast. Um, it's
0: so yeah, in it's a wheelchair a... game, because we know how one-sided some games can be, and yeah, and, and I the think the England that versus it Wales game from was it last summer when they when we when we first saw it on the BBC, it wasn't as it wasn't as distant as one hundred twenty-five twenty-two, but we also know that the England side wasn't as uh, maybe as packed out as what it was, and the Wales side probably was missing a few, but. the the way these scores jump to and from being really close or really far apart all the time is phenomenal I mean the USA had never played a game before and they went and beat Scotland in the first game of the World Cup and they ran Wales close before being annihilated by France so you look at it and go actually this is quite entertaining how this works
2: yeah Yeah. uh, this was my first experience watching it I I was at this one in in Sheffield um, and I'm a bit conflicted I'm not going to lie don't get me wrong. I really enjoyed it, and the skill levels of these athletes is unbelievable. And and when you think of how difficult it must be to use your arms to move around and do all these these gross movements would t- would completely shatter your arms. You would be they would be under so much fatigue to so then also be able to catch and pass the ball with such fine skill when your arms must be absolutely burning is really incredible but i do think that it would be useful to to look at changing the rules ever so slightly because i think that um the length of the game is just a little bit too long i think that it would be nice if it was maybe 30 minute halves because yeah. it would it, it gets to a point where the result the game's dead and buried and yeah don't get me wrong it's so addictive watching how they break down a defence and see seeing like the kind of um moves that they put on and stuff but I just think it would help keep it a bit more intense, a little bit closer, um, and, and sort of like limit the the length of the blowouts. Like I think the the, the first game that was on um, Australia versus France, yeah. there was like periods where Australia sort of found their way back into the game a little bit, yeah. and then all of a sudden France had scored three, and it and it was back over again. And I think if it was 60 minutes, I could imagine a team that's um, you know on on the back foot putting in a solid half do you know what i mean and yeah, 100%. It, it, the way that the game sort of flowed it would be close for a bit and then all of a sudden it's like england would score four tries mm. and so it, i feel like it would it would stop that so I, I think i i think i would like to see that change and i'm being super critical purely because i really enjoy it and i, and I want to see it take off and i, I want to see it continue and i think loads of people have really enjoyed it and it's still it's still very much in its infancy, so I think that we can get away with making changes now before it's really established. But I do think it would help to 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 bring the length of the games down, con- considering you know the pitch is so much smaller. So basically, every single break is a try anyway. You're yeah, not exactly, going to miss yeah. out on try. You're
0: not missing out a lot, are you? Mm. So no, I totally agree. Some of the score lines, like you said, even for a semi-final, right? The France-Australia game was uh, was the better game, but there was never any doubt of who was going to win the England-Wales game. And, I mean, yes, Wales had their moments, like, but their tries, especially like in that start of that second half, the first 25 minutes of that second half, Wales seemed to like be level with England, like fighting back, getting tries. But at the same time, England had stretched their lead. In, in the same time it, Wales scored three tries, England had scored 2 three, 4 five six seven well six it was six tries to three even in that 25 minute period like that's a lot of tries like you, yeah. people don't seem to understand england scored 22 tries in that game against wales that's crazy in the opening game of the tournament again against wales sorry toby um france scored nearly 30 tries in that first game like that's too many that's there's a lot of points in the game games that don't necessarily don't need to be that long uh, one positive though, Halifax Panthers have a Golden Boot winner, Seb Bashara. What a man! Um, how good is, have him and Jack Brown been in that England side? Oh my God, they are ridiculous, aren't they?
2: Yeah, it's crazy. Isn't it Seb Bashara's sort of got a little bit more of that strength, and mm-hmm. so um, his his style's like a little bit more. Um, he he plays off the back of contact and sort of like looks to draw people in. Smash his way through the line and then find a pass, or you know, just, just get away with his strength. Whereas Jack Brown's kind of relies on literally going through untouched, he's so, he's so agile and nimble. Like, it's, it was amazing actually watching him warm up and like the kind of the way that they just use only half of their body to come and, and sort of like contort in these shapes and swing their arms around and stuff and, and um, rock their sort of like upper torso yeah. to just control the chair then they're, they're not even um sort of steering it all with the hands it's just sort of like a bit a bit like ice game where where you sort of like shift your balance to move forwards and stuff like that and and he's the the control that he's got is amazing he was doing these like start stop turn around go backwards stop turn around go forwards yeah. things in the blink of an eye like it's really incredible to see and like i i think he's um he's almost too good, he's almost like a level above everyone around him and maybe the game needs to catch up and, like, who knows, in five years' time we'll have teams that are just full of Jack Browns and then it'll be, like, an amazing spectacle.
0: Yeah, 100%. Um, just a quick shout-out, Bedford Tigers, my team, great team. Um, Two Scotland internationals are joining the Bedford Tigers um, wheelchair team, which kicks off this year, Paul uh, Lauda and Midge Hartley will boost the start of that and also joining the team is disability darts world champion snowy dyson so there's some there's some celebrities joining the bedford tigers this year so that'll be really really interesting um they're cool. actually meeting they actually met tonight so i need to um figure out what is what was going on I mean, it says wednesday the 15th of november but it's wednesday the 16th um so yeah that was not the right date on the post but never mind i'm sure people still turned up um Speaking of the wheelchair tournament, it's it's set at six time and it's the first game we're going to mention. Before we went live, I, or before we started recording, I said to the, Robin and Toby that there was going to be nine points available. and We were going to do team that wins, margin, correct score. Robin said, oh, why don't we do player of the match instead of correct score? I'm going to do both. So there's actually 12 points up for grabs.
2: Bit I'm sweet. not happy with this.
0: <laughs> there is 12. And the only reason there's 12 points up for grabs is because I still want Toby to try and win. Right, because it's close. Imagine it, it will be finished within like a point. That'd be really good, wouldn't it? After the whole season, we don't want to see blowout scores, Robin. Do we? We're not a no. of blowout scores. So, but the fact we're all within nine of each—well, there's nine points between you two and I'm sat three points behind you, and I'm, I'm quite happy with the way this season's gone. Um, wheelchair final: England versus France. P- score, well, margin first, score, and then your player of the match. Um, I'll go first, France are going to win, they're going to win by 24, it's going to be 60 points to 84, and Borsan's going to be the player of the match. Is
2: that number 4 Jeremy Borsan? Yeah. I feel like I've almost got the same prediction so I'm gonna have to change it up <laughs> slightly. <laughs> like I that was so my so my player of the match I reckon as well, Jeremy Boss and from what I saw he was really awesome and um he, he seems to play he, he seems to get a lot of game time. Mm. So I, I reckon that he's gonna be an influential player. Um I think it's gonna be a bit closer though. I think that um you know I'm I'm hoping that it's a bit closer. I think that it's gonna be um seventy two 66 to france
0: Jeez, only a margin of six points okay uh, yeah to france uh toby
1: yeah i'm gonna say it's gonna be 56 to 46 to england with jack brown as the player of the match and that's just to try and get the points
2: (laughs) i think it's still a good shout yeah i mean
0: yeah i mean this is I like we said I said earlier on the women's game, the women's final is probably the toughest to choose, but these are the two best teams in the world. Um you've got the Australia versus New Zealand women's game, two best teams in the world. England versus France in the wheelchair, two best teams in the world. And the way it looks at the minute, Australia versus Samoa are the two best teams in the world. Like Samoa are better than the New Zealand side that Australia beat in the semi final, in my opinion, just in the way they play as a team. Uh, women's final time, Australia versus New Zealand, I think I think for me it's Australia, but I'm still debating on the score and everything else but i think australia will win this one i don't know if either of you have a set plan for this
2: so difficult in
0: it <laughs> yeah, it's just not easy at all
1: i've got to go against the grain again so i'm going new zealand by four i think it'll be 20 to 16 to new zealand and i'm going for the only new zealand player that I've really taken note of because she is an absolute monster of a prop forward reminds me of a man with the same surname of uh, how good yeah. he was and yeah the
0: net newasala yeah fair enough i, I fair, yeah crazy forward um that like everything about this new zealand team is really really good um i'm going to go australia to win but the player of the match is not going to be an australian player It's going to be McGregor, because the way she has played in the whole tournament is unbelievable. Australia are going to win by 8, and it's going to be 18-10. Because New Zealand can't kick goals, but McGregor's going to score quite a few of them points. So he's going to score both of them tries
2: interesting robin go on wrap it up i'm gonna say australia 36 no 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 that's too high
1: 36 it's a world cup final
0: man
2: australia 18 Mm -hmm. new zealand 12. new zealand can't
0: kick goals man is going to be is this going to be four tries no conversion three tries no conversions
2: yeah Yeah. (laughs) and i'm gonna i'm gonna have um Ali Brigginshaw as the player of the
0: match. The Australian half. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, seeing as Toby went first on the women's, I went first on the wheelchair, Robin, wrap up the men. start the men's final prediction for us, the final prediction of the year.
2: So, I'll be honest, I, I see, I want to say that Australia are going to be comfortable winners, but, i think that the samoa team there's a lot of players in the samoa team that are just used to playing these aussies every week and so it's not as big an occasion for them it's just like a regular season match i know that there's more on the line but Mm. the the terms of like the the people are coming up against there's no shock there they will have already had experience playing against them playing with them etc so um i think australia are going to win i think they're going to win Twenty-four twenty, and I think that they like to. I feel like, from what I've seen, when they've picked the the um, player of the match awards in this World Cup, is they kind of like to come up with a narrative before the game Mm. and then just make it work.
0: Yeah, I agree. And go,
2: oh yeah, they were always going to be man of the match. They are the man of the match, and I think that that they'll write the narrative this week about James Tedesco
0: oh that's not the name i was expecting to come out of your mouth just then i was halfway through writing cleary down before you said it <laughs> i was like whoa um toby you've got the final no yeah before i do the the last one you you've got yours i was about to say i've written my prediction down and i forgot i haven't said it out loud yet um do you want to go first or shall i
1: or... yeah well i'll go first yeah. no i like i'm in two minds about this like we haven't seen many low scoring games but I think the Australian finals and stuff, like the really tense ones, they tend to not often get into double figures. I don't know if that's a smart play or not, um, but I'm gonna go for eight points to six Oof. to Samoa. To Samoa! Oh man, my it, Oh mate! My... Jesus, who's better the match? Samoa. And because of that fact, that eight-point factor, I think there's gonna have to be a penalty in there. It's gonna have to be uh, and because of that I think I'm gonna go with Stephen Crichton oh we're so in tune yeah. you and
0: me we are so in tune I've gone Samoa 16 points to 22 uh, Stephen Crichton man of the match yeah I, I, think, mean, I genuinely think this Samoa team can win this world cup like I, I haven't wanted to say it all episode in case one of you got into it but I don't mind saying it Samoa to win the world cup is a dream and I just think as a squad as a collective the battles they've been through in the last five years, p- trying to like pick their squad, the way they've come together and embraced their culture, like the amount of players that play for the same team, all NRL, uh, all but one or two NRL-based players in the in the seventeen. Yes, they don't have a hooker, but that didn't seem to affect them at all at the weekend. Yeah, I know how he's
1: the is like, this is his game. He could afford to break every bone in his body because he's not playing next year. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Leave it so all mad. out there. Yeah, like I think oh. to be that they will, won't they? Like these, these these Australians, they don't have it. Like you said at the start, you said you, you summed it up perfectly. They, the Australians, don't care about the, the game at all today. They? they don't care about the international game. The players might, but the the actual top dogs and the CEOs and the chairmans and the club owners and either, even the Australian Rugby League Commission, they don't care about the international game. These Samoans are playing not just for themselves and their country but they're playing for their family they're playing for their friends, they're playing for everyone else who isn't Australian on the planet this weekend and (laughs) I know there's probably not going to be 70,000 people there like they would have had if England had made both finals but anyone who isn't Australian in that stadium is going to be screaming for Samoa to win that game Mm. I want a Samoa flag, I want a New Zealand flag, I want stuff I want to be waving stuff about I want to be Samoan. I'm Samoan all week. I was Samoan as soon as that final whistle... Well, maybe not as soon as the final whistle went because I was pretty heartbroken, but by the time I'd got on the the train, I was like, you know what? I'm Samoan for a week, well, 10 days or however long it's going to be. I am Samoan. Yeah. Yeah,
2: Of all all the predictions that we've made tonight, uh, Toby's 8-6 Steve Crichton Man of the Match in a Samoa victory is the one that I want to happen the most.
0: Oh, is that because if I get mine right, I'm probably going to overtake you?
2: No, that's just because it would be just like one of the greatest World Cup finals ever, wouldn't it? And it, it would just—I imagine how tense it would be at Old Trafford and the satisfaction of seeing the Aussies get mm-hmm. beat. Imagine if we all
0: finished on the same amount of points—that'd be mental. We have yeah. to do a
2: tiebreak. So we would have to do some. We'd have some yeah, i don't depth. know what the tiebreak would be.
0: We'd have to play like an online. We'd have to play rugby league live or something, wouldn't we?
1: Yeah, I'm up for that. My dream situation really is for Australia to lose this, and then invite Fiji, Tonga, Samoa, New Zealand, England, over to Australia next year for some sort of mini tournament. Yeah, um, and it <laughs> sounds funny, because it's almost like well, you you're basically replaying a World Cup, but yeah. that, that that I think this comp- you know we do have to be playing these games every year, and at the same time, like if it wasn't a tournament, that like, you look at how like Rugby Union works, they have they play each other. Every autumn and every summer, they play each other in these like glorified friendlies, and people take them seriously. So I don't know what you know. I think we can do that in rugby league too.
0: You could have international tournaments while the league's still going on as well. Like team players would like, you could have on a Friday night. You could have maybe not a Friday night, but on a weekend, you could have double headers. Like at York, for example, you could have York City Knights versus Featherstone, and then you could have England versus. France or England versus someone at that level that is really matched up with them. like That would be really, really interesting to see, like, especially in the women's game. England versus France is quite a tough one. We saw how decent of a game that was uh, earlier this year um, when that was played in Warrington. But you have things like that rolled up. and you—you, you, I know we said, oh, don't package them as things. But if you have a championship game or a League One game on before, you're going to get people watching l- rugby they might not have seen before as well. So they're going to pick up the yeah. club at the same time. Before we end, actually, I know we usually end on set of six. I just want to mention the fact that this year's Summer Bash, well, next year's Summer Bash twenty twenty three Summer Bash, is in York, which is really nice, really nice city, fantastic, great to be there in the summer. York have got a home game, te- an ad- additional home game, which I think is a little bit unfair, but also mm. it's the same day as the York Races weekend. Robin,
2: oh wow, that was a that was a balls up.
0: <laughs> I didn't realize that. <laughs> Yeah,
2: so I hope you're not going to the York races that weekend. No, but I mean, like, way to go. There's, there's not a massive deal of events in York, but like the races, the whole city grinds to a halt when it's the races, and every man and his dog's there. So, all those people that would have just been up for a beery weekend and like just yeah. try something different at an event, they're all going to be dressed up and at the races. So,. Yeah, that's a real shame. I, I I I was shocked to see that it's come to York. I think the state I don't think the stadium's that great to spend two whole days in. I don't want to un- I don't want to you know put anybody off, but um like don't get me wrong, I'm happy it's on my doorstep, but yeah, it's a bit I'm of not. a it's a
0: fucking trick, thing, man. It's an absolute yeah. Just to uh, I just
2: want to add to
1: any other business while we're on it. Yeah. Um that if anyone hasn't seen the lee leopards um videos okay. of south african <laughs> leopard experts proving that it's not a jaguar on their home kit then please go and watch it because honestly lee i like i don't know what Derek beaumont is doing but he is panicking right now this rebrand is going to ruin his team and it is brilliant watching his solutions
0: <laughs> to, uh, make sure that it doesn't yeah it's mental isn't it it's crazy um also um players there's six players here that haven't got a team for 2023 so um anyone with money to spend matty russell luke gale sami Songi, Langi, james clare uh, brad takarangi and ryan hampshire are all out of contract still and haven't got clubs for next year brad takarangi is probably the only one that's probably is not going to pick up a team due to his off-field issues that he had towards the end of the year but yeah um
1: I think James Clare and Ryan Hampshire might end up at the top of the championship.
0: Yeah, very, very good.
1: someone like for Ryan Hampshire would be really nice. Um, Patty Russell, I think, can, will creep into a Super League team who go to pre-season and realise they need a winger. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what happens with Luke Gale, maybe the West Tigers?
0: Oh, fuck off. <laughs> fuck off. No, 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 no. I don't usually end on a swear, but do one, Toby. Like, don't worry <laughs> um... No, we'll, yeah, we've we've. This has been a really good episode. There's been there's there's stuff we've not even touched on as well um, that we just haven't had time for. We I really wanted to get into a bit more of Australia and New Zealand and break those teams down, uh, especially leading up to the finals and stuff. But with everything else going on this week, we just don't have the time. Um, join us next week for the final episode of the year. Um, we might do a Christmas special. I've got that in my head. Um, I'll speak to (laughs) you in a second. Um, But yeah, um, this is this is the technically the penultimate one of the series. So thank you everyone that's watched, listened, liked, shared, subscribed, commented so far. Um, We'll be at the uh, Super League, uh, not Super League Grand Final. Jesus. Um, We'll be at the Rugby League World Cup final on Saturday. Uh, Watch the wheelchair game tomorrow night on BBC. Um, Yeah, like, share, subscribe. We've been the Biff. That's been Robin, that's been Toby, I've been Bradley, brought to you by Swinging Arms and Shoulder Charges. See you next week.